Hey, hey, party people, and welcome back to She Existed, the podcast wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, share the story of a woman of history and or legend previously unknown to me. Today's episode is a triple whammy, as you could tell from the title, Gwendolyn, Estrildis, and Hafren. Today's episode is one of those where I have no idea why I'd never heard the stories of any of these women. Um, But since I've been hearing a lot of news articles lately about the health of the current Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, I thought it might be fun to go back and visit the very first Queen Regnant of Britain, um, which I can't believe I didn't know this story. Uh, It involves three fascinating women. Uh, Some of their stories are happier than others. We'll get into that. And I would have liked to give them each their very own episode, to be honest, but since their tales are so interwoven, I would basically just be telling you the same facts over and over with a slightly different perspective. And while that works in novels and TV shows sometimes, I think that would get a bit dull here. Um, And I have no idea why I'd never heard the stories of any of these women. But this is also one of those stories that is just perfectly she existed, because in theory, all of these women are only legendary. Yet, I just can't quite bring myself to believe that their tales aren't at least partially based in truth. Obviously, with the years, stories shift, and details are added or omitted, but I would comfortably bet that a version of Gwendolyn, Estrildis, and Hafren did in fact exist. Especially the bit about one of them becoming an independent female ruler, which is something I just feel like No one would have made up as a thing if it weren't true in some way or another, especially back in those days, which were not necessarily known to be the most pro-women ruling things. Those days, incidentally, are guesstimated to be around the 11th century BCE in Britain. Now, I've learned and shared a lot about this period of time previously, but never anything in Britain. This period of time is when, for example, David of David and Goliath fame lived, and the Phoenician alphabet was invented. So we're talking a really long time ago. But I found my way here through a very interesting rabbit hole. I was reading an account of post-Roman Britain, which would have been about the 5th, uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th centuries CE, um, that this account was written in the 9th century by a guy named Nennius, which was absolutely enthralling. For me, anyway. But even though I've always really loved British history, I've mostly been confined to A, Arthurian legend, which supposedly takes place around the 5th century CE, I think, Uh, B, the Middle Ages, chivalry, knights, all of that, and C, the Victorian era, a very deep interest of mine. I don't know why I didn't know more about these ancient pre-Roman Britain legends, uh, but here we are. Okay. So let me set the stage for you just a little bit, in case you are as new to ancient Britain as I am. According to legend, Britain was originally settled by a descendant of Aeneas. Aeneas, you may recall, was a survivor of the Trojan War on the site of Troy. The gods commanded him to collect a small band, go on some adventures, and treat the amazing Queen Dido of Carthage like absolute crap, which is all chronicled most famously in Virgil's Aeneid. Aeneas was the legendary ancestor of Romulus and Remus, who founded Rome, and also a guy called Brutus, who is supposedly the one who settled ancient Britain. I find it an interesting connection that both Rome and Britain were originally founded by descendants of Aeneas, given that eventually, 
Uh, Rome and Britain have a well-documented and very contentious history, but that's a story for another day. So, Brutus's eldest son was a guy named Locrinus, and he is the glue that binds Gwendolyn, Estrildis, and Hafrin together. When Brutus died, he split his kingdom into three areas to be ruled by each of his sons that are the rough equivalents of Scotland, England, and Wales today. Locrinus got the England area, which was then called Leogria. Leogria is recognizable as Logris, which is the name of the realm that King Arthur ruled in the account called The Matter of Britain, which is the delightful story cycle of this era. Logris apparently comes from a Welsh word. Uh, let's see if I can pronounce this. <laughs> I did date a Welshman for five years, so you'd think I'd be able to, but it's Hlogir, so the double L is pronounced like with a H, as far as I recall, Hlogir, which is of uncertain origin, and uh, it indicates this area specifically, like what is now England. Uh, Detroit, who is a French poet, also specifically referred to this land as the land of ogres. Scary. So, logers. Logre? Maybe it's French? I don't know. So, Locrinus. Hmm. Sounds like at least he was an okay ruler. He reigned for about 10 more or less peaceful years, the exception to which was a bit of a rocky moment early on, wherein a dude called, I shit you not, Humber the Hun, um, not, they, they called him a Hun, but they didn't really, I don't really know where he was from. But anyway, Humber the Hun decided that he would see if he could take on these three sons of Brutus. I mean, anytime you get divided power, uh, I feel like there's some asshole who's like, maybe now's my time to shine and take over everything. Uh, this incidentally is why in the U.S., the peaceful transition of power is like the number one critical element to our government, Thanks, George Washington, for that. Uh, and it's also why the January 6th insurrection is way more horrifying than I think anyone has properly realized yet. Anyway, back to the safety of ancient Britain. So Humber the Hun does manage to murder one of the three brothers, but the remaining brothers, Camber and Lacrinus, do manage to avenge their brother, and they beat Humber back to a river where he drowned. Uh, this estuary, incidentally, is still called the Humber today, in remembrance of Humber the Hun, and also this is like a theme that will repeat itself later in the story, unfortunately. But here's where things get a little sticky, and our leading ladies are introduced. Lucrinus was pretty fair about divvying up the spoils of war with his brother, but he didn't realize that he'd have something of his own stolen. His heart. Aww. You see, Humber and his army had captured a beautiful princess of the Germans, a woman named Estrildis, and Lacrinus found her locked away in one of Humber's ships, and immediately fell in love with her, as you do. According to Joffrey of Monmouth, our main source for this story, quote, her name was Estrildis, and her beauty such as was hardly to be matched. No ivory or new-fallen snow, no lily could exceed the whiteness of her skin. Ah, back in the day when being nearly translucent was a bonus. There was one problem, though. Lucrinus was already engaged to another woman, Gwendolyn, who was the daughter of Corinius, who was the founder of the Cornwall area of modern-day England and a former ally of Lucrinus's father, Brutus. Corinius was not having this with the whole Estrildis thing. Again, according to Joffrey, quote, 
Do you thus reward me, Locrin, for the many wounds which I have suffered under your father's command and his wars with strange nations, that you must slight my daughter and debase yourself to marry a barbarian? While there is strength in this right hand, that has been destructive to so many giants upon the Tyrrhenian coasts, I will never put up with this affront. And repeating this again and again with a loud voice, he shook his battle axe as if he was going to strike him, till the friends of both interposed, and after they had appeased Corinius, obliged Locrin to perform his agreement. End quote. So basically, Corinius, super pissed that Locrinus is going to slight his daughter by not marrying her in favor of a barbarian princess, and both of their friends are just like, chill, 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 chill. Calm down, guys. Um, we're going to make this all fine. And also, Locrinus, you did agree to marry Gwendolyn, so that's what you're going to have to do. What to do, what to do? Well, Locrinus did what any lauded folk hero slash king who can do whatever the fuck he wants would do. He decides to have his cake and eat it too. So he sticks Estrildis in a cave underneath Trinovantum, where he can visit her at will while being married to his politically arranged bride. Fun fact, Trinovantum, which um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I could not find uh, a video of anyone saying the word, so Trinovantum it is. But Trinovantum is a variant of Troia Nova, which of course means New Troy, further emphasizing the connection with that doomed city. Side note, does anyone else find it interesting that so many of our strong Western cultures were founded by the losers of arguably the most famous war in history? Anyway, Trinovantum, New Troy, would eventually become Londinium, or, of course, London. So yeah, I have no idea what was going through Lacrinus's head in this instance. Like, Estrildis was locked in a ship for a long time, so she probably wouldn't mind being locked away in a cave. The legends do note that she was cared for by servants, and it was a pretty nice cave, so step up, I guess? Apparently, Longcrinus managed to keep this pretty well a secret for seven years, constantly pretending like he was going to perform some religious rites underground, while instead he was banging this barbarian princess. And during this time, both his queen, Gwendolyn, and his mistress, Estrildis, became pregnant because Lacrinus is a real class act. Gwendolyn gave birth to a son, Madden, and Estrildis had a daughter, Hafrin. There we go. There's the third lady of our She Existed Today, Hafrin. Now, this charade might have continued indefinitely, but it just so happened that Corinius died sometime in or after that seventh year of Estrildis' imprisonment underground. So Lacrinus, I guess, felt like he'd done his damn duty, and he decided to divorce Gwendolyn and let Estrildis see some sunlight, finally. Gwendolyn, however, was not about to take this lightly. Divorced and disgraced, she retreats to the former home of her father in Cornwall, but rather than simply while away her days in anger and regret, she decides to do something about it. Over the course of a couple of years, she amasses a great army and then leads it in battle against her ex-husband. Near the River Stour, which is in modern-day Suffolk, she eventually defeated Locrinus, who was shot with an arrow and killed. Unfortunately, in a 
true lacking of feminine solidarity, she then decided to have Estrildis and Hafren drowned in what was then renamed the Severn River. Etymologically speaking, this is a touch tricky, but Hafren is also sometimes Habrin or Saber or Sabrina, and Severn is a variant of that. So basically, Gwendolyn wanted to make sure that her husband's cheating would be remembered forever. And here we are today with the longest river in Britain named after his bastard daughter that his ex-wife murdered. Sabrina is also how Hafrin is referenced in much later texts, including Milton's Comus from 1637 that reads as follows. Sabrina fair, listen where thou art sitting, under the glassy, cool, translucent wave, in twisted braids of lilies knitting, the loose train of thy amber-dropping hair. Listen for dear honor's sake, goddess of the silver lake, listen and save. End quote. Honor, indeed. But although a bit vengeful and cruel in her personal life, like, can we all agree that Estrildis is the main victim here? I mean, Hafrin too, like, you know, she's drowned, but, you know, at least she gets, like, a river named after her, but, like, damn. Estrildis was probably innocently living her best princess life when her people were decimated by a warlord named Humber. She was abducted, chained in a ship, then taken as a spoil of war and kept underground for seven years, where she had to bear a child to a guy who was already married, whose ex-wife later kills her husband and then murders her and her daughter. Yeesh. But despite Gwendolyn's unyielding revenge against her ex's lover... Apparently, she then ruled in peace and prosperity for 15 years before abdicating and passing the throne to her son, Madden, who we mentioned before, who then also reigned in relative peace and prosperity for another 40 years. Now, Madden's sons have a pretty saucy story that I won't get into the details too much of since this is she existed and not he existed, but let me just mention that one of his sons murders the other son and then his wife leaves him because he's gay. Not joking, that's like in the text. Um, but 50 years of peace and prosperity between Gwendolyn and her son Madden is pretty damn good, I think. We can barely manage like a decade without war in our modern times, so good for Gwendolyn and her legacy. Speaking of legacy, Gwendolyn was the legendary ancestor of King Lear and his daughters Gonorilla, Regan, and of course Cordelia, made famous by Shakespeare centuries later. And that's that. The sad story of Estrildis and Hafren, and the triumphant story of Gwendolyn, the first queen regnant of Britain, and truly, truly an admirably vengeful mind. You can look up these fascinating topics as follows. Estrildis is spelled E-S-T-R-I-L-D-I-S, Queen Gwendolyn, that's Queen G-W-E-N-D-O-L-E-N. Hafren is H-A-F-R-E-N. River Severn, uh, Severn is spelled S-E-V-E-R-N. And Joffrey and Monmouth, uh, Joffrey being G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. Oh, it could be Jeffrey. It's probably pronounced Jeffrey, but I'm just used to Game of Thrones. Anyway, Monmouth is M-O-N-M-O-U-T-H. Thanks so much for listening to this uh, equally sad and triumphant tale uh, for women. <laughs> Catch you next time. <laughs>